0: I'm reading from Philippians 1:12 to 18 from the uh, ESV I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear Right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone. It's wonderful to see all of you this morning. My name is Jalen Baker. I serve as the pastor resident here. You don't have to. Please don't call me Pastor Jalen. Jalen is great. We can we we can stick with that the entire time. Uh oh. <laughs> this always happens. Should I just go to the handheld mic now, or should I? You know, we'll just we'll just keep it moving for now. Okay. This morning, as I was wrestling with this text. A title came to mind, and hopefully it'll make sense throughout, throughout our time together this morning. I want to tag this text this morning, through it all, trust God. Through it all, trust God. One of the things worth pointing out here about the entire book of Philippians is that it is a letter written to the Philippian church, and one of the things that marks this letter is joy, right? Joy is one of the central themes of this letter. And dare I say, joy might be the connective tissue that brings all of its subjects and topics together. Pastor Tony Evans out of uh, Dallas, Texas, defines joy this way. He says that joy consists of an internal stability in spite of external circumstances. Let me say that one more time he says that joy consists of internal stability in spite of external circumstances. And the apostle Paul wants these Christians to understand that no matter what your circumstances are, you are still called to joy. You're still called to live into the joy of the Lord. And I love this because This joy that we speak of, it is not something, it's not some material or philosophy of this world. Nothing in this world can bring this kind of joy to us. It is spiritual in nature. This joy, it it, it stems from the words that God speaks to us, it stems from the promises that God makes to us, it stems from the spiritual power that we have been endowed with, and this power sustains us. And it enables us to live out the will of God in our lives, even through tough circumstances. So Paul says, in everything that you do, no matter what is going on, I want you to consider joy. Joy that the world did not give and joy that the world cannot take away. Joy that is not dependent on the circumstances of your life but joy that is wholly dependent on the living God. Nehemiah, the prophet, puts it this way. He says to the people of Israel, do not grieve, but let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Right? Because God is never changing. His his, his love and his power is everlasting. So even through tough circumstances, God is still God. And since he's still God, That means that his joy is readily available to us at any given moment. Internal stability, right? Joy, it it is a stabilizing force, a stabilizing power that allows us to continue moving in life, that allows us to continue to walk in the will of God in our lives, because the power of God is still in us. The power of God is sustaining us. Consider joy. Moving to our text this morning, Philippians 1, 12 through 18, we're kind of getting into the gritty stuff now, right? We're getting into the body of the letter. It's interesting because as I was reading this week, when it comes to ancient letter writing, Paul is in some ways taking his cues from the era, right? So usually when one is writing a letter to a group of people or to someone, they're disclosing what's going on in their lives. They're saying, they're, they're trying to catch them up. Like, here's how I'm doing, and here is my current circumstance. And it's usually, it's usually an update. Pam, if you mind going to the slide, please. Check out your boy with a slide, by the way, right? Can y'all believe this? I got a slide up here. Yeah. Now, I guess it's only one slide, because I, I feel like if I have multiple slides, I'll forget that they were up here. You know what I'm saying? So I only have one slide. So look at this real quick. So this is a letter from a soldier named Theonas to his mother. Look at look what he says. "Theonas to his mother and Lady Tethys, very many greetings. I want you to know that the reason I have not sent you a letter for such a long time is because I am in camp and not on account of illness, so that you do not worry yourself. I was very grieved when I learned that you had heard about me, for I did not fall seriously ill. Now, check out, I want you to know. Paul uses that exact same phrase in verse 12. So we can see... Paul is taking his cues from ancient letter writing practices of the era, but he puts a spin on it, right? Paul is actually going into grave detail about what is happening in his life, right? And he's offering theological reflections about what's going on in his life. And he's doing this because he's saying, this is what's going on in my life, This is how I'm handling it, and I want you to read this, because I want you to follow my example. I want you to imitate me. I want you to follow my lead. Now, what exactly does he want them to follow? Let's check it out. So I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it is undoubtedly assumed that the people in Philippians were extremely worried about Paul. Like, the homie is in jail what's going on with the ministry, what's going on with the work, it's done. And Paul's like, nah, fam, I'm actually really good. You good in jail? Yeah, I'm good in jail. We chilling, right? And and what's amazing, church, is that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And they like, what? Yeah, for real, for real. I'm actually advancing the gospel in my predicament right? And this is important because one thing Paul says in verse 13, I'm advancing to God, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, right? So everyone around here knows why I'm here, because I'm I'm sharing the story. And I want to dig into this phrase, my imprisonment is for Christ. I want to dig into this phrase real quick, because Paul is not simply saying that my commitment for Christ has led to my imprisonment, right? He's not simply saying that my devotion to Christ has got me here. He's saying something much deeper than that, actually. He's saying that my imprisonment has actually connected me to Christ, right? He will put it this way later on in, in, in the letter of Philippians. He's saying that because I'm struggling, Because I'm suffering and I'm being persecuted in this way, it is allowing me to share in Christ's suffering. So Paul sees his current predicament as uniting him with Christ, connecting him to Christ in a very unique way. And I find this bold and, dare I say, radical, because Paul does not see his current predicament, his current struggles, as being inconsistent with being a Christian. Right, he says the opposite. Because I am a Christian, it means I will struggle. Because I am a Christian, suffering will happen in my life. Right, and it's like, dog, that's a tough pill to swallow. Like, are you for real? And probably like, yeah, I'm for real, fam. Because, because think about, think about, I, I speak for myself, and maybe a few others. When something happens to us that frustrates us, right, and we're going through tough seasons, right, our first response is exhaust, pity, but, oh, if it ain't one thing, it's another. Here we go again. Why, Lord? Why me now? Right? We're just exhausted. We're like, God, why? Why? Why can't things just go right this one time? And Paul quite literally says, as a citizen of heaven, child of God, I want you to consider what if things are going right for you? What if things can work out for your good, even in the midst of Because this thing? Paul aligns himself with Jesus, right? And when Paul looks at the life of Jesus, what he sees is a life of struggle, right? He sees Jesus struggling and struggling and struggling. And in the midst of all that struggle, the spirit is so alive in him that he sees change happening around him, right? He sees lives being transformed, lives being changed for the better in the midst of that struggle. And Paul said, if if my Savior, my example, can live a life like that, then why can I? And and Paul also says, you you have to think about this too. when you look at the story of the gospel, right? Suffering never has the last say, right? Struggle never has the last say. The gospel always talks back to our suffering. Yes, I might be struggling, but God gives me peace. That's the of all understanding. Yes, I might be struggling, but I have a joy that stabilizes me in the midst of it. Yes, I might be struggling, but the power of God, the love of God surrounds me. I can feel his presence. I can feel his embrace to where I can keep going, moving at the same time and in the midst of the will of God. Struggle does not define me. It doesn't define my circumstance. It doesn't define my life. Struggle does not have the last say in my life. God does. And 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 I love this. Huh. Paul says that when you're in the midst of this struggle, here it is. The thing to do is to give yourself over to the will of God. What does this mean? Give yourself over to the will of God. But first point, here it is. Suffering with God or suffering in the will of God is better than just suffering in the world. That's number one. See, sometimes I think that we can lose sight of this. As hard as our lives may be, right, as hard as things might be, could you imagine what it would be without God? Oh, oh right? <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine suffering and struggling through the stuff in our lives without God? So suffering in the will of God is better than the alternative. And here it is. Paul is saying, rather than focusing your attention on the stuff you're going through, focus on your attention on the one who will get you through. Rather than focusing your attention on what you're going through, focus your attention on the one who will get you through it all. And if you turn your attention to the will of God, God will sustain you, and he also will allow you to see the bigger picture in your life and understand that you can persevere through anything with my power. Don't focus on what you're going through. Focus on the one that's going to get you through it, because he will get you through it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, There's a, we have too many examples and too many promises of God to ever doubt. The faithfulness of our God. And I imagine Paul, using my spiritual imagination, right? I imagine Paul sitting in that jail cell. He's wrestling with God, like, God, here I am again. He's trying to see the bigger picture. And as he is wrestling with God, trying to figure out why he's here, I imagine Paul being given this vivid image of Jesus sitting in the garden, and and Jesus comes next to Paul. Paul looks over to Jesus, and he sees Jesus in his darkest hour. He sees Jesus in his most vulnerable spot, similar to the spot that Paul is in right now. And Paul says, "What does Jesus do when he's in this spot? My God, what does Jesus do when he's been pushed?" and put in this situation. And he says, you know what Jesus does? He says, not my will, but your will be done. He surrenders to the will of God. So Paul says, I want to be like my savior. I want to do it myself sa- I want to surrender to the will of God. So so Paul rises up. He looks out in that prison. Uh-oh. It's coming he looks out in that prison and instead of seeing his circumstances, you do know what Paul sees? he sees a mission field. He sees, you know what? I'll be doggone. I got an opportunity to share the message of Jesus with these prison guards, whereas if I was out there, I probably wouldn't even met these folks. So God literally says, yo, this is an opportunity. And I want you to know, here it is. Just because you're going through something in your life does not stifle the calling God has on your life. Just because you're going through t- tough circumstances, it does not cripple the power of God that is within you, right? God still will use you in the midst of, right? right. Like circumstances don't dictate your calling. God dictates your calling because he's the one that called you to it and Paul realizes this. He said, who am I? I'm an evangelist. That's who I am. God has called me to share and spread the gospel, and look where I am. I'm in a mission field. I can share the story of Jesus with all these folks. Paul recognizes this. Again, he sees how his suffering can bring new life. Romans chapter 8. Paul this is another letter, letter, letter Paul wrote to the, to, the, to the Roman Christians. He writes this letter, and he uses a, a powerful example. He says, he, he, he garners the image of a mother giving birth. He says, when we look at the life of a Christian, a mother in labor describes the believer's current situation. How so, Paul, here it is. He says, as a mother is in labor given delivery that mother understands that the pain she's going through is a necessary transition to the new life to be born within her and paul says that just like that mother a believer is in the same predicament just like that mother we have to labor struggle and go through for the necessary transition of the spirit of God to be born within us and be made alive outside of us. He says, just like that mother, we have to struggle for a little while, suffer for a little while so that new life can take form. Paul sees in this everyday example, the pattern of God, which is, su- which is suffering brings new life. Suffering brings new life. And this is why it's better to suffer and to struggle in the will of God than to struggle outside of the will of God. Because if we're struggling outside of the will of God, we're walking around this spot aimlessly without any hope of the resurrection, without any hope of new life, right? So we have to suffer a little while and allow God to bring new life within us and also outside of us. That's a promise. And I know... It can be hard to imagine. How can God bring anything good out of what I'm going through? But I want you to remember God brought good out of an unduly and unjust death of of his son named Jesus. How could he bring good out of an innocent man dying on a cross that he did not deserve to die? What good could come from that? It's the resurrection. It's life after death. It's the power that lifted him up that he now makes available to all. So if God can bring good out of something like that, that he can bring good out of everything that we're going through. Believe that. It might not be the good we want, but oh, it is the good that we so desperately need. Always, always, in the midst of it all, Paul says, trust God. God got you. Life is hard. We live in a broken and fallen world, which means that broken and fallen things will happen to us. But God has the final say. God has already said the final word, which is that I am the king. I am Lord over everything in your life. And because I am king over you, you better believe I got your back. Surrender yourself to the will of God, will allow you also to get through what you're going through. Another thing that happens, too, as we keep going in the text, when we surrender ourselves to the will of God, it can also inspire others. So the Roman Christians are outside of the prison, and they get word. They're like, yo, y'all hear what's going on in, in the prison? Yeah, man, Paul in there, right? That, 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 that really sucks. Like, Paul is in prison right now. Nah, fam he in there spreading the gospel. Like folks in there hearing about Jesus. Like, are you for real? Yes. I'm dead serious. And what ends up happening is they see the power of God working in Paul even in this situation. And you know what that does? It emboldens them, right? And and catch it. Look at the language. They say, having become confident in the Lord, Right? Not confident in Paul, right? Paul, cool, but he ain't do none of this without God. Right? So when we devote ourselves to the will of God, even in the midst of, it will inspire others. Right? Because we're pointing to God's power working in us. And that's what Paul does here. Paul is saying, look at what God is doing through me right now, family. Imagine what he can also do through you. He can do the same thing through you. Right? If you just trust, don't be disheartened, don't be dismayed by what I'm going through, because what I'm going through, God is with me, God is for me, and God is using me in the midst of right. So when we find ourselves in frustrating circumstances, struggling circumstances, God wants to use you not only for your own upbuildment, but also to inspire somebody else. Right? We will inspire other brothers and sisters in Christ and non-believers alike by being obedient to God's call, even in the midst of. Right? That's what he did. That's what he did. It encouraged them, it emboldened them. It said, if God can do that through Paul, then God can do a lot through any of us. So let's follow, let's follow Paul's lead. And then we get into. It's, it's an interesting transition. I and I I, I want to say that this is what makes this kind of letter different from other letters in the era. Because the one I, the one we read earlier, that was the whole letter, literally. He was like, Yo, "Your mom, somebody said somebody said I was sick. Word got back to you. I'm good. We we I'm I'm good. You ain't got to worry about me no more. I, I ain't really sick." And that was it. That was that was that was, that was the whole that was whole that was the whole letter. That was it, right? But Paul is going absolutely into greater detail. Look what he says here. He says, "Now there are some preachers here in Rome." That, that, that preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Let's stop right there. So when Paul busts on the scene in Rome, it's actually a point of contention, right? So when Paul comes, everybody kind of flocks to him, right? Everybody said yo, Paul is here. Let's go see, let's go hear what he got to say. And the other preacher was like, nah, but we've been here the whole time. Y'all can just continue to listen to us. Why don't you wanna go and listen to him? So the other preachers are jealous of Paul. They think that he's robbing them of their influence, right? And this makes them quote unquote rivals of Paul, right? So you got those folks, and you got other folks that are preaching out of goodwill. And this really means goodwill towards Paul, right? So you got some people like, yo, the homie in jail. We got to go, we got to preach the word. Like he in jail, like we got to fill in the gap. Like Paul has been doing great work out here. He's been inspirational. We got to fill in the gap, right? So these folks are, are for Paul, right? it keeps going. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, folks who are for me, knowing that I am put here in the defense of the gospel, right? So they're saying because we love Paul and because we love the gospel, we're going to continue to proclaim it, right? And it keeps going. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, right? So these folks say, well, since Paul's in jail, it's our time to shine. It's our time to come up, right? And the way we're about to get ready to come up, we're going to preach the gospel. The gospel's going to be preached, but we're going to talk ill of Paul, right? We're going to badmouth Paul. And Paul is saying that these folks are doing this to, inf- to afflict me in my imprisonment. And it's not to cause Paul um, physical harm, but it's really to cause Paul frustration and stress right? So, they're saying, we're going to stress Paul out while he's in prison. Not only are you in prison, but just know that when you come back out here, you ain't the man in town no more, right? You're no longer influential. You're no longer that dude. We that dude. And Paul's like, that dude is Jesus, y'all, just in case you were wondering. But he's also like, Lord, what's going on here? Like, this is a lot I'm in prison but you know I'm trying to fight the good fight you know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be on my best whatever but it's like dang lord like how much more can a brother take they out here bad-mouthing me slandering my name it's like fam, what and again using my spiritual imagination one more time I can imagine Paul praying to God right He's like, Lord, you know what? I can only see this through a narrow view. I need you to show me a heavenly perspective. And this is where I think Paul really jumps into his citizenship of heaven, right? Because through my lens, I'm frustrated, I'm stressed. This is a lot. So God, I need you to help me understand what's going on show me how to think about this. And God says this, this, this is what I think God says to Paul. God says, Paul, first and foremost, I want you to hear me and say, I know they're lying about you, right? I know that they're not telling the truth. I know who you are, right? And I need you, I need you, for. I, I need that to be enough for you, right? The God of the universe knows the truth. You are not these things they say about you, so therefore, I know I affirm you in every way. That's the first thing I think. That's the first thing I think God says to Paul. Second thing is this. Paul, I want you to look at this from a macro level. Now, it's not ideal that they're preaching my word out of these ambitions, selfishness, conceit, rivalry. That's not ideal. I, I, get, I grant you that. I wish it was better. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, they are preaching my word. At the end of the day, they are sharing the story of my son. And Paul, that matters deeply. Let me tell you why it matters. Because as they're sharing the story of my son, even with these messed up motivations, guess what? Them sharing that story is leading to me hearing the prayers of folks that are that, 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 that want to understand who I am. Right? Souls are being saved through even this kind of messed up ministry. And understand, Paul, that's the big picture. That's the main goal. Preaching is ultimately about proclamation of my son, Jesus. So Paul hears this and he says, oh, that makes sense. I understand that. And leads him to say this, what then? Only that in every way, whether in preachers or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's a lesson from that family. When we're going through stuff, right, we have to be intentional in asking God to offer us a heavenly perspective. Like, God, I only can see what I'm going through or what's happening in the world through this narrow earthly lens, right? And God is like, I see it all here. So, God, I need you to broaden my view and help me understand what's happening. And Paul is a witness that when we ask God for a heavenly perspective, right, for a macrocosmic perspective that we should have as a citizen of heaven, God will answer you. God will reveal it to you. God will allow you to see what he sees right? Not just through the narrow guise of of, of our earthly and human perspective, but we will step into the realm of heaven and say, okay, God, I see this from your view. So sometimes we have to ask from a view from on high to help us understand what's happening down here. And and, and the reason why that's important is because it will ultimately lead us to less stress, right? Because this is supposed to stress Paul out, remember? That was the goal. But by the end of it, he's not stressed. He's not worried. He's trusting that God knows what he's doing. God got this. Y'all think Thomas said this last week. He, he, he cited Joe. Joseph, what you meant for evil, look at what God is actually doing. God meant it for good, right? So it's important for us when we're going through and we're very confused. God, give me a heavenly perspective. Give me the wisdom the discernment and the knowledge to understand what is happening here. And here it is. This, this is the most important one. Help me to trust you, right? Because when you give me that knowledge, when you when you broaden my view, right, I might be like, okay, that makes sense, but they still stressing me out. No, remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength right? So while there might be this inward annoyance from what's happening, remember what you have access to. Inward stability in spite of external circumstances, right? Remember that that is your strength. That is your power, not the joy of this world, not the judgment of this world, but the power and joy of God. That's what's going to get you through. That's what's going to sustain you. That's what's going to stabilize you. And Paul understood this full well. So as Paul is writing to these Christians, he's saying to God's saints here, look, y'all, there are going to be times where you're going to struggle. There are going to be times where you're going to navigate some tough circumstances. And I'm telling you as someone who's going through it right now, I am writing this letter to you from jail. As someone who is experiencing it right now, through it all, trust God. Trust that God got your back. Trust that God's going to work through you even in the midst of. And trust that God is going to work new life in you and around you because that's what God does. Suffering brings new life. That's the Christian story. That is our story. We are part of that great narrative. And Paul says, if, if if my savior can go through that, if my savior demonstrated this, then I want to do that too. Right? And that's that's that, that is a radical and bold thing, especially I think for us as Westerners to grasp, right? Because struggle really isn't a part of the American dream. I don't think it's, I don't think they wrote that in there. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I don't think it's in there, right? Struggle really ain't a part of the narrative that we that we sort of want to buy into in this country, right? So it's hard for us to grasp, like, I got to struggle to connect with Jesus? Damn, right? My goodness. But Paul says, but what you also know that you're going to struggle anyway, right? The world's going to be broken with or without Jesus. So you might as well do it with them. Do it with Jesus. And it will work out for your good in the end every single time. Surrender to the will of God in all circumstances. In every circumstance, surrender to God's will just like Jesus did. And when you do it, God will work through you to bring new life in you and also around you. As the worship team comes up, and I come to a close. The Apostle Paul implores these Christians in everything consider joy, and to always consider God's will.